2: Welcome. I'm so glad you can join us on Mission Evolution, where we bring the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll discover the mind virus plaguing our world. The last couple of years has pushed most of us to our limits. Like anything else, when pushed to the max, we're breaking down in all our weak places. Among those vulnerable spots are beliefs, mindsets, and realities. As a result, illogic and polarization is running rampant. But is this new, or is there an underlying factor that's always been there, but is just now becoming visible? With us this hour to consider our current dilemma is Paul Levy. Paul is a pioneer in the field of spiritual emergence and a wounded healer in private practice, assisting others also awakening to the dreamlike nature of reality. He's written several books, his latest, Watiko: Healing the Mind Virus that Plagues Our World. Paul is the founder of the Awakening in the Dream community in Portland, Oregon. An artist, he's deeply steeped in the work of C.G. Jung and has been a Tibetan Buddhist practitioner for over 35 years. His website, awakeninthedream.com. Paul, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution.
3: Yeah, hi. I'm, I'm just so happy to be here with you. Thank you.
2: It's we should have a wonderful time. This is such a, an amazing topic. Um, so let's start with what's your uh, educational background, Paul?
3: Well, OK, so I went to college and got a degree in, in economics and in, in, in art. But then a few years after that, I, um, I had this totally unbelievable spiritual awakening that transformed my life and had nothing. So that's when I really catapulted out of academia. And so um, even though I have my bachelor's and I was a, I became a certified you know teacher in art, that has nothing to do with what I've been doing for the last 35 or so years. It's all based on my own experience of getting catapulted out of consensus reality and recognizing that this is a dream that we're having. And um, so there's no really credential for that from academia.
2: So, Paul, what is a wounded healer?
3: Well, you know, it's a major archetype, and and a wounded healer is, it's related to, well, it has to do with, we've all had trauma, we're a species in trauma, and we've all had this wound, and the idea of, of the healer who's wounded is that instead of identifying with the wound, which is really problematic, they're actually able to carry that wound and which invariably um, it demands a a sort of descent into the underworld, into the darkness of the unconscious, and their wound becomes a doorway through which they access their gifts. And um, so I'm I really that archetype I know intimately because at a certain point I was so traumatized by what happened in my life at a certain point that in you know it could have really created enormous problems, but somehow I was lucky enough to be able to hold it. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm embodying that archetype of the wounded healer because then I access these incredible creative gifts that's informed my work.
2: You know, in indigenous ways, and we're gonna be talking about some indigenous ways today, I believe. But in indigenous cultures, uh, particularly shamanic cultures, there's a very traumatic initiation that uh, wannabe shaman are put through to shatter. To do to, to actually impose the very thing you're talking about um, is where your something so traumatic happens that you're catapulted, as you say, out of the status quo, out of your belief systems, out of everything. How does one come back from that and still function in society?
3: Yeah, no, well, and I'm so glad that you that, that you pointed at that because so many of us that's if not the number one archetype, it's one of the primary archetypes in the collective unconscious is the shaman wounded healer. And, you know, and it is unbelievably traumatic. Like so many of us have had these wounding experiences, um, you know, some sort of trauma, and, and we're all of a sudden we'll have like this breakdown, but that breakdown can be a breakthrough. The point is, is that according to the archetype, you get, you descend into the darkness, into really Hades, so to speak, and you get in touch with, you know, whatever, just some form of insanity that actually pervades the field. Our species has gone collectively insane in a way. So being somebody who's open, you experience that in your own self, but somehow you're able to assimilate that experience and find your way back to yourself, back to your wholeness, and then somehow by going through that ordeal it becomes an initiation that actually is teaching you who you are and is giving you access to these creative gifts and that process that i've just very succinctly just sort of talked about and described that's the process that all of us are going through we've all gotten drafted into a shamanic ordeal but if we don't know that and it's this death Rebirth process, but if we don't know that it can be deeply problematic and we could just pathologize ourselves and feel really sick. And all that, but if we have the recognition that we're taking part in a deeper archetypal process, then we're able to navigate it and hopefully integrate enough and access these gifts that we can then offer it to the Community and the Community is is the world.
2: So we're in the in the throes of something really major. This pandemic has really, you know, taken the starch out of a lot of our sales, um, and then the unrest and everything that's arisen around it. If we don't, like you say, if we don't know what we're what we're going through, and we try to fight and try to go back to normal, and and don't integrate the experience into our reality. Doesn't that kind of drive us nuts? I mean, how how can we come back from that?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, what I'm pointing out in my work, and, you know, for the last 25 years, I've been writing about that we're in the middle of a collective psychosis. And but the last, you know, since the lockdown and the pandemic, it's been just so obvious and clear to people that, oh, my God, it is like there is some form of insanity that's going on. Now, keep in mind, you know, it's not... In, in stone that it's written, so to speak, of how this is gonna manifest. We could be just totally destroying ourselves, or this could be a scenario in which we begin to awaken to who we are and 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 to snap out of the imagination that we exist as a separate self and to realize we're interconnected with each other. We actually are interdependent. and And to see that is to snap out of the imagination that we exist as a separate self and we actually don't exist that way but if we're identified with a separate self we'll spend all of our energy in our lifetime protecting and defending that separate self but that's insanity that is the collective insanity the essence of it because that separate self it doesn't even exist but then to see through that then all of a sudden that same energy that was invested in protecting something that didn't even exist becomes it's accessible for expressing our our compassion and love and our creativity. So I'm basically pointing at, you know, the deeper process that's available to us. In this pandemic, there's something really made available to us. But if we don't really have like, you know, really see what's actually being being shown to us, then we're fated, then we're going to continue to destroy ourselves.
2: So there, but there is a process, like you were saying, between where we are and where we're going. And doesn't that involve Letting go of our entire reality and identity.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, that feels like really daunting, you know, but I mean, it's this process. And for me, it happened, you know, in an instant, you know, in 1981. And it was so destabilizing that, you know, it took me a while to integrate what's happening. But in a sense, that is what's being offered to us. We've been imagining we've been identifying ourselves as existing in a certain way and i'm talking as an individual person to the extent that we're not awake to who we are we've been imagining that we exist in a way that we don't and that when 8 billion people or the majority of 8 billion people are doing that you see what's happening in the world we're in that thing that inner madness we're acting it out on the global stage in the greater body politic in a way that's destroying us but It's like a dream, just like a dream is symbolically reflecting back our unconscious. What I'm pointing out is that when you see this as the dream and you recognize, oh my God, just like a dream, it's giving me a message. It's revealing the very thing I need to know. That's what we need to to step out of this, you know, this fictitious identity that's killing us.
2: I love the way you said destabilize at one point, because isn't that exactly what's, what's happening is we have been comfortable and locked into the dream. And when something traumatic like this comes around, some people are going, wait, I've been in a dream. This isn't true. This isn't real. Don't we bounce back and forth between the dream and the, the awakening for a while before we can choose to go to one or the other?
3: Yeah, no, well, it's definitely this process of oscillation between, you know, seeing reality and then integrating that. And that's the shamanic trip, the shamanic goes on a journey between the worlds. And in a sense, they integrate, you know, the actual reality, and then, you know, and then what's not quite in phase with that, and they go back and forth till it it becomes one. And in the same way, what's playing out in the world how everything all the structures that you know have been keeping us asleep are deconstructing and are are falling apart that's an outer reflection of the inner process that we're going through in our psyche of actually we're like having this breakdown if we are attached to identifying ourselves as as being a certain way that we're not you know but it's incredibly helpful Uh uh-huh
2: We're going to have to pick up with this discussion on the other side of a a short break. Paul and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. This is Mission Mission Evolution. For more information or to enjoy our past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Hello again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification, and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing the dream nature of reality is Paul Levy, his website, awakeninthedream.com. Paul, we were getting into what happens in this fluttering back and forth between the dream and the new reality that many of us are awakening to and how it is a process of stepping in and out of the dream. that can be pretty unsettling. Would you continue with that discussion?
3: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's a process that is unsettling because if we've been attached to existing, to thinking that we exist in a way that we don't and what's being shown to us is that, no, that's not who you are. Who you are is something way more expansive. That's that's incredibly great news, but it's it's destabilizing. And what I'm pointing out is that when you recognize that what's playing out in the world, in the external world is reflecting something that's happening deep within our psyches. So in other words, the insanity that's happening in the world or the structures that are coming apart in the world are actually reflecting you know, an, an actual process that's happening within our psyche. When you recognize that you're beginning to see this is a dream, that this is a dream like nature you know this has a dream like nature because what is a dream but it's in the outer world is reflecting the inner process and this is what every spiritual tradition from time immemorial has been pointing at so that's the blessing that in the destabilized, you know the whole everything falling apart we're actually something is being shown to us that can really help us
2: if we're willing to look at it
3: oh completely and that's where it takes courage you know and the idea but if we don't look at it and we turn away then we're feeding in a way evil we're feeding that that virus of the mind the what you call mind virus and um because it's a it's a it feeds off of us turning away and not seeing what's in front of our face
2: and that's getting more and more difficult therefore we have to polarize further and further to uphold the denial
3: yeah. Well, I mean, just there's never in our lifetime, there has never been a more polarized state than there is now. And um, but that outer polarization is reflecting some form of inner polarization or creative tension. And, and that's incredibly, it can be painful and anxiety provoking and stressful. But if we're able to hold what that's touching within ourselves, something that's beyond our ego can come through us.
2: So um, you mentioned Watiko. What is Watiko?
3: Well, it's an indigenous term. Uh, the, the Native Americans coined it. And it, it's, in a way, the psychospiritual disease of the soul. It's the source of all of the evil that we're playing out. Um, but I point out in my work that it's actually, it's a quantum phenomena. And what I mean by that is that similar to like, You know what is the nature of photons of when you have light it's either a wave or a particle it depends on how you observe it what the thing about the what mind virus it's actually helping us to wake up. it's giving us a gift, but if we don't have the recognition of what it's showing us, then it just assumes it's programmed function of killing us so it's the source of the greatest evil or it's helping us to awaken and how it manifests depends on us.
2: Where did you find out? How did you find out about Watiko?
3: Well, I had a direct encounter with it in my in my family system, this unbelievable trauma, and the story isn't important, um, you know, but I was tracking, wow, there's some incredibly evil force, and it was like pervading the field. It wasn't just coming through one person, but then whenever I would, for example, be the one trying to shed light on it, the whole, uh, the non-local field would configure To protect the abuser. And then, you know, so I I was like, what is this? And then I had this profound awakening as a result of being in so much pain around that. I went so deeply inwards. And then within, you know, hours, I got thrown in a mental hospital, told, oh, you're having a psychotic break. You know, they didn't recognize I was having an awakening. And a number of times, three, four other times in that next couple of years, I was put in mental hospitals, all the while having a profound awakening. And I was realizing, oh, my God, that same evil force that pervaded my family and came through one person, now it was coming through the system of psychiatry. And then I began to realize this exists in the collective unconscious, this evil force, and it's playing out in the body politic of the world. And that's that's when I first began to understand there is something that I was seeing that pervades the collective unconscious, pervades the non-local field, is in all of us in potential and yet encoded in that it's actually helping us to awaken.
2: So you speak of evil. Um, you know a lot of people say well there is no good in evil. What do you mean by evil?
3: Yeah, now I'm not I'm not like this metaphysician or a you know theology professor or anything like that. I'm just talking from the psychological point of view, you know, um, it's undeniable that there's, you know, um, whatever we call evil. And it has to do with, you know, it's very connected to the creative energy, but it's the creative energy turned against ourselves in a way that's self-destructive or not just against ourselves, but against, you know, the world. And so in which if if left to its own devices, it destroys everything in its sphere, including itself. And I would say that if people are like, oh, the a lot of New Age people, oh, there's no such thing as evil or whatever, they're just in denial. And that point of view where they're avoiding really seeing the darkness that they're playing out or that's playing out in the world, that them turning this blind eye to that, that is feeding the evil, okay? And um, that's one of the things that I talk about in my work, how important it is to shed light on evil, that all the spiritual traditions talk about that the, the real light is hidden, secretly encoded in the dark.
2: That would go back with there really isn't good and evil, though, wouldn't it? Is that hidden within what we perceive as evil is the light and hidden within the light, then would it stand to reason is also the evil?
3: Well, it, it's it's very it's a very tricky thing to talk about um, because from the absolute point of view, yeah, there's no difference between good and evil. But yet, from you know the the non-absolute point of view, you really have to distinguish them. But an example when, if you think about this 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 mind virus as being evil, and yet you really go into what it's doing and all the destruction it's causing, you begin to realize, oh, but it's actually helping us to awaken. And then you begin to realize, wait, I thought it was evil, but it's actually, you know, serving this incredible function of us being able to connect with our light in a way that we wouldn't have without this mind virus. So then is it evil or is it good?
2: So by evil, then do I understand you to say that it is distorted, polarized, out of balance?
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a very good way of saying it, where if there is like, you know, instead of being in that center point of ourselves, and being in balance, you know, um, and being able to just embrace both the light and the dark part of us. It's actually, you know, some people either identify too much with the dark or identify too much with the light, and then project out the darkness, and then they will dream up the darkness to play out in their world in a way that confirms to them oh i'm just light and i'm just a victim and there's the evil and the more they hold that point of view the more that's the way that their life will manifest confirming to them oh the objective truth of what they're seeing and they don't have the realization oh that they're actually you know they're at the bottom of creating their experience and um you know and, and meanwhile by doing that by projecting out their own darkness outside of themselves. Then, um, you know, that's a form of madness, and that creates the polarization, and that is the mind virus at at work.
2: So, in other words, if we don't own and process both the light and the dark within us and project it outward, that's what's creating Watiko?
3: Yeah. The thing about Watiko, Watiko, it's this dreamed up phenomena that we are, when you really understand, well, how you know, what is the origin of it? We are the In a literal way creating it moment by moment in this moment or not we can uncreate it and you know and that's pointing at the incredible creative power that each one of us have in this moment to create our experience and our experience of both ourselves and our experience of the world
2: but we don't understand that we feel powerless and then that puts us in the battle stance so that we're projecting outwards
3: yeah. Well, the thing about the Watiko, this mind virus, one of the ways that it operates, it, it actually inspires us to think that the problem and the, the, you know, the actual, the, the root of the problem and the solution is outside of ourselves. So then we'll like put our attention outside of ourselves. We'll fight the seeming evil outside of ourselves. And, and, and then all the while it gets off scot free and it just feasts. On our unconsciousness of thinking that the problem is outside of ourselves, because in essence, what I'm pointing at is that the source of the, the collective madness that we're acting out and the evil that we're acting out is to be found within our psyche, you know, and if you think anything else, I mean, then you fall in prey to the Watiko bug.
2: So, Watiko well, is basically collective denials being acted out in the world. Is it, well, and that? it's
3: not just collective denial, but then the thing about denial, then we deny that we're in denial, so it becomes a feedback loop, and which then self-reinforces. And then if we identify with that process, then we've just completely fallen under the spell of this mind virus, because it, it's exactly like our species has fallen under a spell. And okay, it is, so yeah. <laughs> we're
2: going to have to pick up on this spell that we're underneath collectively on the other side of a, another break. But Paul and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to find past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Paul Levy. We're speaking about healing the mind virus. His website, awakeninthedream.com. Paul, we were we were again talking about Watiko and how it actually manifests within us and then is projected outward. Would you continue with that thought, please?
3: Yeah, sure. So in other words, what Watiko does, we, each of us, have this creative power to create our experience of the world and of ourselves. And the thing about this mind virus, the Watiko mind virus, it has no creativity at all, but it it's it's impersonates us. It's a master impersonator. In the apocryphal text of the Bible, they talk about Watiko, they call it its counterfeiting, the counterfeiting spirit. So it puts us on. And it offers us this fictitious image of who we are. Oh, I'm wounded, I'm traumatized. And then as soon, because it has no power over us at all, but as soon as we identify with its image of ourselves, then it has us, then it can manipulate us and control us. And if you just think for a moment, what I just described, three things that have just happened. A, we've actually given ourselves away we've identified with who we're not, and we've, in a way, forgotten our creative agency. That's the recipe for madness, and that's what Tico, in a nutshell, right there.
2: Is there something going on in the world, um, or in, in the cosmos, if you will, that's also supporting the disintegration of this uh, pattern?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, the the entire cosmos is supporting the disintegration of the watiko mind virus but it's manifesting as the watiko mind virus you know because what i was just describing we have this incredible creative agency but we've hypnotized ourselves there's no one else who's done this no one has put us under a spell we've put ourselves under a spell we've entranced ourselves into thinking that we're helpless and powerless and, and because of that, we've manifested the Watiko bug, the psychic epidemic, the collective psychosis of Watiko to confirm, to support, to reflect that state. But encoded in that manifestation, it's actually revealing to us, you know, exactly our creative agency and power that we're unconscious of.
2: So we're unconsciously creating the beastie.
3: Totally, exactly. And what I'm pointing at is that encoded in the manifestation of this dark, evil, destructive energy that we're playing out unconsciously all over the world, it's actually revealing to us something. And it's revealing to us our intrinsic creative agency that we all have. 24-7. 24-7, we already we already have the solution for all the myriad world crises. We possess it. We are it, but we don't know that. So we dream up Watiko in the world to play itself out to actually help us to remember. That's the deeper process that's going on.
2: You I'm gonna go backwards a little bit. You mentioned as you were waking up, <laughs> waking up, you were being um, considered the crazy one and put in mental institutions right Um, this is a common story that I've heard a lot of that when a, a person in the family unit suddenly doesn't play the game anymore and chooses not to propagate the family lie they're attacked by everyone else in the family and cast out would you speak to that a little bit
3: yeah no for sure and that's the deeper that's a deeper archetypal process so in other words I was the one in the family system Who was shining light on the evil that was playing out. And I couldn't believe that the more I did that, the field, the non local field would configure to protect the abuser and then to see me as the evil one or the bad one or the crazy one. And, you know, there's a term, um, becoming the identified patient where all of a sudden, oh, I became the source of the problem, like the problem was what I was saying, if only I would shut up, then everything would be good. But so many people I know have gone through that, where in their family system or in the world, you know, you're pointing out the evil, but then you run the risk of, of being demonized. And that, that's a pattern to really to integrate into how we actually um, try to communicate the thing we're seeing.
2: I think that's so important and of course that's why I brought it up is that as we awaken we're running a risk of being demonized we're running a risk of being locked up if you will. What do you suggest as a gentle way to come into that awakening without ending up in a mental institution?
3: Yeah, well for sure and and that is you know I mean it's a process where all I needed way back when in 1981 was in maybe a number of months to just, you know, have people take care of me so that, you know, I would be able to metabolize and integrate. Cause I was having this mind blowing, this revelation and it's still unfolding the revelation over 40 years later. And because stuff was happening in my life that was physically impossible that I was taught wasn't supposed to be happening in this physical realm, stuff that could only happen in dreams, you know, and, and it was so destabilizing. And so one of the key things is when we integrate, for us to be able to express ourselves creatively, you know, because being creative in the Watiko mind virus, it imprisons, it plugs into our own creativity and turns it against us. So the point is to be able to plug into our creative spirit, which is our nature, our true nature is to be creative. And then the more we actually have the realization of our nature, the more creative we are, and the more creative we are, the more we deepen our understanding and our experience of our nature. It's a positive feedback loop that actually self reinforces and creates light upon light and as you do that you develop this this ability to just be in balance and have this skillful because i wasn't skillful i was so excited i was like a young 20 something year old kid and i was so ecstatic and excited at what i was realizing that i freaked people out well i've gotten more integrated and more balanced and now i'm able to express it in a way that's helping people so that's really all of our challenge
2: It's never nice to tug on a person's blanket, right? (laughs) And it's not really real productive either (laughs) because they'll just tug right back.
3: Yeah, well, it's the exact idea like to preach the light to people whose eyes can't see. Well, then who's the one who's mad? It's the one who's preaching the light. And the idea is how do you open up people's eyes? How do you teach people the art of seeing? And of course, that's an open-ended question.
2: Do you personally do that through posing questions rather than dictating truths?
3: Yeah, no, I don't know how I do that. I'm, I never, there's no technique other than just being present with people and connecting with them. But one of the things that's really interesting is that when I wrote my book on, on, on quantum physics, I understood as I studied the quantum physicists, they kept on saying way more important than finding the right answer is asking the right question. So, you know, and that's really interesting of maybe helping people to come to a particular point of inquiry where they themselves ask the right question.
2: So I'm going to ask you a tough question. You went through a heck of a thing to find the reality that you're now working with, within. Are you not perpetrating the same thing on others by trying to find agreement with your reality?
3: Oh, well, to the extent that I'm trying to find agreement or convince them, yeah, then I'm just acting out my what the watiko in me and my and my own ego. But, you know, that's very different than having an experience that I'm having, you know, that to whatever degree I've integrated it, and just holding space for people to see what I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is that, oh, we've already awakened, you know, from the Buddhist point of view, we all are Buddha. And, you know, so in other words, to see people in their wholeness. And, and that's not something I'm trying to sort of force anybody into, but that's just, you know, more and more to the extent that I integrate, that's the way I see things. And then that's just holding space for then for people to step out of their spell and to more connect with their own wholeness.
2: I'm glad you speak of holding space because isn't holding space also the act of holding a particular frequency of truth without even opening your mouth? And that frequency then goes out into the world and makes it available for others.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think about my teachers. I have been very fortunate <clears throat> in becoming, you know, very close with some of the greatest teachers on the planet. You know, I've known them, you know, since the early 80s and they're like family and they embody the this frequency of just having incredible love and compassion. And they're completely at ease and they're not trying to like to put a trip on anyone. They're just being themselves. And people who are open and we're all sensitive, you know, you feel that incredible love and it just opens your heart. And so in a way, they're, they've taught me to the extent that I'm able to integrate that, you know, to just embody that, that same frequency that you're talking about.
2: Also, we're just about out of time in this segment, but when we come back, I'd really like to talk about we might be waking up but waking up as a matter of degrees isn't it important to stay open to the fact that you don't know even though you've come to this great awakening it's only partial of what's really available and where we're really going um is is that accurate and how do you dance with that
3: Yeah. Well, should I, you know, I'm happy to answer that now, but the point is you see that until everyone is awakened that you aren't fully awakened because when you wake up, you recognize you're not separate from everybody else. And if people are still suffering and under the spell, That's where from the Buddhist point of view, you make the Bodhisattvic vow going, I'm going to first bring everybody else into into nirvana first before I enter, because who have you realized everybody else is, but parts of yourself.
2: Interesting. Sounds like Moses never reaching the promised land, doesn't it? We are time for that break. Paul and I will be back shortly to continue this discussion. So don't go away. This is Mission Evolution. For more information or to explore our archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. And speaking of gifted people of service, this hour we're sharing thoughts with Paul Levy. His website, awakeninthedream.com. Paul, we were, we were getting into how to approach people, how to, you know, deal with the fact that we're seeing things that possibly those around us are not, without alienating people or becoming unhinged ourselves. Um, and I liked, I liked what you said about just holding space and, and putting love into the world so that people can start to align with that. When you do that, does that remove you as a threat in a way, make people happy to be around you so that they can start attuning or resonating with the frequency that you're holding?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a very interesting thing, because with all the polarization in the world right now, what i've been cultivating is this is this ability and i want to put this out to other people too to um you know not just be fixed in a viewpoint but to really try to entertain and understand where other people are coming from particularly people who who hold contrary viewpoints and to see oh what are they seeing that i'm not and what is their blind spot and are they seeing the blind spot in me And then being able to see from as many perspectives as you can imagine when you're when you cultivate that ability and and people get a sense you're not just trying to convince them of something, you know, then people tend to soften and open up so that I would really encourage people to cultivate that you know that ability.
2: So. Is whatiko related to trauma and addiction? you've you've touched on it some, but we haven't talked about addiction.
3: Yeah, no, in my you know, in my work, I talk about that. I talk about that a way of understanding Watiko and of understanding trauma and addiction is to is to realize that this mind virus is at the bottom of trauma and addiction because trauma and addiction are so interrelated. And if you think about it, when you're acting out your addiction or when you're in trauma, the very reaction to try to heal that trauma is the very thing that creates the very trauma you're trying to heal from in a self-generating feedback loop that just creates madness. And that's a description of what And and, um, you know, and the same thing, you know, when we act out our addictions, it becomes this feedback loop where it can destroy ourselves. It's a death sentence unless interrupted. And so what i'm trying to point out is that there is a way of when you really get switched on to this profound multi dimensional idea of what And um, what it actually means about who you are and your creative power and the nature of the world and and who you are in the world that actually unlocks and it can add light and it can actually help to heal our process of you know being in trauma and or addiction.
2: Speaking of creativity, isn't creativity the act of hooking into the unified field and into the into all it is to pull through the creativity in the first place?
3: Totally, that's a beautiful way of, of describing it. Where you know, because I you know for years people have asked me like, what do I do, and I never knew what to say. But then I I just realized, oh, I'm I'm a creative person, and by being creative it's exactly what you were saying. I just open up and become an instrument for something that's coming from a place deeper than myself, kind of this source, that then I just become the conduit for it to express itself. And in doing that, it, it heals me. Because I want to point out that, you know, it's understood from the psychological point of view that the greatest poison in the human psyche is unexpressed, is, is the creative spirit being unexpressed.
2: And that, isn't that the whole point of what Tico is, is creating a, a, a block to our access to all that is. Totally. And thereby, thereby maintaining control.
3: Yeah, like what Tico, it, it's interesting because it's a quantum phenomena. It both spurns and it spurs our creativity. So it makes us feel blocked and stuck and oh, I'm uncreative, but yet in doing that, If it's the real creative spirit, it can't be kept down for long. So it actually inspires a creative response. But if we stay stuck in that feeling of being blocked or stuck, then we have a real problem.
2: It's amazing, you know, that like writer's block usually comes from when one drops into the ego and becomes invested in what's coming through and then trying to draw it from themselves versus from the unified field. I think it's the same with life, isn't it?
3: Yeah. Well, the thing which is interesting, as you were saying that, I was I was reflecting upon, you know, when I because I'm this this writer and every morning is when I write and every morning, as soon as I sit down to write, I feel this incredible resistance, you know, and I've learned the greater the resistance, the the greater the breakthrough. And so instead of, you know, at first when this began happening, maybe I would indulge in the resistance and and not write and all that. Or I would pathologize myself and think, well, I really have a, a, you know, like trouble or a problem or whatever, without having the realization, no, the fact that there's this resistance, that's an expression that I'm on the right path. And all I need to do is just not get hooked by that, you know? And I think that what I'm describing, that's not just my process. I think that's all of our process.
2: I would have to agree. So I'm sure at this point, all the, all the audience is going, so how do we heal this beastie?
3: Yeah. Well, the, the way to heal it um, is on the one hand, it's showing us something. And what it's showing us, first if it's unlocking the creative spirit within us. It's actually helping us to have the realization of our nature, of who we actually are. It's actually helping us to see this is a collective dream. And it's helping us to see that there underlying all of the manifestation is this non-local field. That's a physics term. Einstein himself said, the field is the only reality, and that non-local field is at the bottom of, of these synchronistic phenomena. So in other words, this universe is an oracle, and it's speaking symbolically, and that's, that's the language of dreams. So all of those are different, different facets of the jewel of the medicine that helps us to really see through this mind virus and extract its blessing, and the expression of that realization is compassion. So, in other words, if you want to really heal your own stuff and your own self and be of benefit to the world, one essential way is to the extent that we're able to really cultivate, you know, real compassion for others and for yourself, you know, that in a sense is the real medicine. And that comes out of our encounter with Watiko. And that brings up the question is Watiko this evil thing or is it actually helping us?
2: Depends on what we do with it, doesn't it?
3: Totally. Exactly. Paul,
2: Paul, what is your mission?
3: Well, I mean, I feel every morning like it's not like I wake up in the morning and feel like, oh, I wonder what my mission is, what I should do. No, I have 100 percent clarity every moment of the day that, oh, I've tapped into something and it's medicine and it's medicine for me and it's medicine for everyone. And my mission is to try to turn people on and try to transmit what I'm seeing, you know, um, because it's It's a gift, and it's a gift that just is endless. It keeps on giving, and the more I share it with people, the stronger the gift gets, and then they're able to share it with other people. So in a sense, that's my vocation, and that's my mission, is to try to, by shedding light on the nature of the darkness that we're encountering, it's actually helping us even more deeply connect with our light, and that's my mission.
2: Well, given the history that you've had during your awakening, It took a lot of courage to take that mission on. I'm so glad you did.
3: Well, I I appreciate that. I don't think of it in that way. I feel like I didn't have a choice because psychiatry was offering me if I would have subscribed to their viewpoint that I was mentally ill and that I was going to need to be on medication for the rest of my life, it would have killed me. And from their point of view, that would have been, oh, we've had another successful treatment. Okay, it's insane what I experienced in the psychiatric community. So for me, it doesn't feel like courage; it just feels like I didn't really have much of a choice.
2: I hear you there. Um, we're about out of time, but in closing, what do you envision the world looking like once we rebalance, Watiko?
3: Yeah, well, it's like in a dream when you have when you awaken in a dream and other and you're able to like you know to to dream up other of your dream characters parts of yourself to awaken and you, and you recognize oh we're not separate we can put our understanding together and we can literally create this new dream that's more reflecting and in alignment with who we're discovering ourselves to be you know which is basically to have the realization that we can consciously participate in our own evolution That's what's being available to us. That's what this is all about. And that's that's at least in my imagination, that's what I'm what I'm dreaming about. So
2: participating in our own evolution. That fits right in here, doesn't it?
3: Absolutely. Yep.
2: So we're just about to close. Where can people find your book?
3: Okay, well, my book, I have a new book out on Watiko, and if they want to awaken in the dream, they can go to www.awakeninthedream. That's my website. My book's available there. There's a ton of articles all for free, a ton of interviews like this, and because I just want to get this information out because it's helpful. And then, of course, they can go to Amazon or their local bookstore or, or really any part of, I think, all, all the different galaxies. My book is available, at least I hope.
2: Thank you so, so much. Unfortunately, we are out of time, Paul, but thanks for coming on the show and bringing this wonderful knowledge to the world.
3: For sure. No, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: Our guest this hour has been Paul Levy, author of Watiko, Healing the Mind Virus that Plagues Our World, and founder of the Awaken in the Dream community. His website, Awaken in the Dream. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda For more information or to access past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Please be sure to join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our rapidly evolving world.